Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. On this episode, my guest is the photographer-turned-fashion-designer, Tommy Ton. Originally from Toronto, the fashion-mad Tommy first made a name for himself in the mid-aughts, documenting street style for his blog, Jack and Jill, and later for Style.com. His rise as a photographer coincided with that of Instagram and the explosion of street style imagery. He famously photographed Kanye West and Virgil Abloh in a photo which became so widely discussed that it was featured on an episode of South Park. He is now the creative director of fashion label DeVoe, based in New York, where I caught up with him in his studio to talk about his obsession with Japan, cross-dressing, and his take on the fashion industry today. Am I calling you... Tommy Ton mm-hmm. or Tommy? Either. Tommy, Tommy. Is Tommy Ton like your first name, surname? And then Tommy? Yeah. yeah I mean, Tommy's okay. just my actual name. I wasn't sure if it was like a kind of street tag or people, something. People <laughs> always <laughs> ask, it's like, is that your real name? I'm like, yeah, it actually is. It actually is. Yeah. Okay, well, hi, Tommy. Hi. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. It's really great to have you on. And we're here in New York in your showroom for DeVoe. Yes. Where you're the artistic director. I am, yes. I Thank believe. you for coming. Congratulations on the new job. It's it's fun. Thank you I'm, so much. I'm really excited to hear more about it and also just to hear about your journey, which has been such an interesting trajectory from beginning um, growing up in Canada, which I'd love mm-hmm. to hear about, and then sort of this journey to becoming uh, the the best street style photographer and, and the most prolific street style photographer no, in the world and being that, at the forefront of this kind of movement. But yeah, so loads to talk you. about, which is really exciting. Um, and also to hear about the things you'd put into the cabinet at Five Carlos Place, which is far away from here. So yeah, let's hear about um, growing up. Um, I think you bl- you grew up on the outskirts of Toronto. Yes, I, believe. I grew what up was it, in was it like? a, a suburb called Oakville. Um, it's about 20 minutes from Toronto. So um, I, w- I was born, well, I technically wasn't born in Oakville. I was born in another suburb called Etobicoke, but I moved to Oakville when I was two. Um, so I lived there for pretty much my whole life. Um, what do your parents do? My parents now are retired, but uh, they, what did they do? They didn't have, they were, I mean, they were, they immigrated to Canada, so they, they just had very working class jobs. I think they worked in assembly or whether my dad was doing a paper route or he worked in car manufacturing so it was very vague with them they never really they immigrated from from Vietnam yeah and you have a a sister I have an older sister and an older brother yeah so they came with my mom initially Uh, this was in the 70s during the the communist war so my father um, was helped Sorry, I, I don't know why this is getting all serious now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought you said you weren't going to be serious. This is yeah, but um, no, it's really interesting. My f- it, it, it. It's like a long story, but my yeah. father, he was held prisoner by the commun- like by northern Vietnam. So my parents were separated from each other for eight years. So my my mom had fled with my brother and sister and met her siblings here, but 
Uh, my mom didn't know whether or not my f my dad was dead or alive. And finally, when he escaped, that's when he f immigrated to Canada. And then out came me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, when I think about my family and I think about, you know, how much they fought and um, sacrificed, I'm very, very f lucky to have had the the life that I've had. And, you know, they're very proud of me. But obviously, growing up in this fascination I initially had with art and comic books and then it turned into fashion they they weren't fully ugh, let's just say they weren't supportive they just thought I was daydreaming for like many many years of my life but then when they finally saw things come around um, like 10 years ago they they were very supportive and they could see that you know I was very passionate about what I wanted to do but um, I guess we can rewind really quickly. And um, <laughs> my, my, love of, my love affair of fashion started when I was a teenager, when I was 13. Um, it just kind of happened randomly because my sister, um, she was interested in fashion and she asked me to record this program for her um, called Fashion Television. So I would record it for her on the weekends while she was away. So there was just this aha moment when um, this episode was focusing on Tom Ford's 1997 heroin chic collection so from that moment I just knew I was like in love with fashion and from there I would ride my bicycle to the library and sadly pull out clippings and just because I couldn't afford magazines myself so I would just you know sit in a cubicle and just rip out advertisements or runway images and I make my own little books. What was the program called? Uh, fashion television. So there was Fashion File which was hosted by Tim Blanks who you know and Fashion Television, which is hosted by Jeannie Becker. And the funny thing is, they were based out of Canada, but they were worldwide renowned uh, fashion programming, fashion programs. So interesting that there was this, there were these two great fashion shows. Yeah. Because actually, at the time, there wasn't that much There wasn't much. Well, there was Elsa Clench at CNN, and then there was Fashion File and Fashion Television. And then, like, MTV. And MTV. And yeah. the House of Style hosted by Cindy Crawford, then Amber Valletta, and then Shalom Harlow. But, yeah, when I look back at it now, I'm really lucky that I had that kind of informal education of watching, you know, Tim or Jeannie Becker interview these people. And it kind of gave me a glimpse of to the, into the world of fashion because, you know, things are so accessible now that that sense of anticipation of waiting every week as a kid with my VCR trying to tape every episode and rewatching things over and over again, you know, that to me, it's more precious to me that I had that than what it is now. I think it's just too easy now to like fashion, you know, like, it, it was kind of a, an interesting relationship that I had because I wanted to learn more and in order to learn more I had to like get on my bike and go to the library or you know sign out books or you know just do my own personal research so have you met Tom Ford I did and <laughs> I, I I don't usually ask for people for photos but it was actually in London uh, I think it was outside of Fashion East show and I just, I saw him and I said, you know, like, I think this is the time where I should ask for a photo. And sadly, he kind of declined, so. But oh, it was no. fine. It was fine. <laughs> I don't think of him differently, but, like, it was just a moment where, it, you know, you see your idol and you think, oh, I should get a photo with him. But it didn't happen, so. It's okay. I've kind <laughs> of, I've kind of moved on from. He's the FDA. He's the, yeah, he's the, C, he's the president of the CFDA, so maybe that might change, but. Yeah. Um. Why don't we talk about the first thing that you put into the cabinet at Five Carlos Place? What's your first object? Okay. Uh, well, there's many things. 
So why don't we talk about my... Many things that we have in front of us. Yes. Which is great. Uh, well, the reason why there's many things is because I only just moved to New York a few years ago, and I don't have all my belongings from when I was younger. So they're just a, f- a few things that remind me of the things that mean a lot to me. So uh, we could talk about my love affair with Japan. So what I brought is... <laughs> so <coughs> tell me about this love affair. When did this start? So this started, I went to Japan for the first time in 2009. Um, and well, actually, you know, it really stems from street photography because Japanese street magazines like or books like Fruits or or whether it's El Japan or Vogue Japan, like they were the source of information for me where I was so inspired by um, st- like street style. And also, yeah, when I was younger, I used to watch Sailor Moon. Not that I'm, I for, totally forgot. You I used to watch say. what? Do you know Sailor Moon? Sailing Moon. A Sailor Moon. Oh, oh no. Sailor Moon, no. Yeah, I've yeah. Never heard of oh, it. it was a Japanese um, animated And program. now you're showing me your T-shirt. Yeah, I'm showing you is... my T-shirt, but it's like a mock on the whole Vogue thing. So it's like a manga comic. It's a manga comic, yeah, yeah. So I've always had this interest in Japanese culture and then obviously extended to fashion. But um, I went for the first time 10 years ago, but um, I, I became quite lost in the city, Tokyo, when I first went. And I couldn't fully appreciate it until I went back three years later when my friends Susie Bubble and Phil O joined me. And from that moment on, I just became obsessed with the idea of going all the time because there was just so much to indulge in this country because there's fashion, there's food, there's architecture, there's camp, there's there's so many different elements of pop culture and also heritage that just clash together that work so well and I just became so fascinated. So I, I, I any opportunity I had to go to Japan, I would go at that moment. So that was in 2012. So I would go like twice a year and you know, having the, f- the freedom and flexibility to go is, is, is quite nice. I don't get to go as much now because I have my dog and I work a lot, but um, I, I find that I'm, I'm myself the most when I'm there, which is like this weird, um, I, I would say like you would find my own caricature there than you would here because I think I'm a little bit more serious here. Well, people could debate that, but... Um, I, I find I have like an alter ego in Japan, so what I brought was uh, remnants of like a costume that um, <clears throat> I used to wear when I was when I was in Japan. So I used to go for Halloween, and I have all these uh, Hello Kitty memorabilia which I would wear. So I'd call myself Hello Titty. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is Hello Titty your alter ego? Yeah, because like that you only inhabit in Japan. It only happens in Japan. I wouldn't dress up as Hello Titty in, in New York or, or I did once in Canada, but no one really appreciated. That's so interesting. I wonder yeah. why, why. Why do you feel that you can do that? Because in the Japan, culture there, it, they're so jaded to anything that's outside the box that it's perfectly normal. Like I can show you a video, video, video of myself in my full outfit, and I'm sitting eating rice yes, with all please. these with all these businessmen, and they're just not even budging. But it's Halloween as well, but. D- like to them it's just like a normal evening right so hold on I'll find the, the photo but um yeah so I, I'm giving you the last bit of uh, my alter ego that's incredible <laughs> okay so and then 
you so you're still in Canada and and, and I w- I'm interested to know how you went from there to becoming a street scale photographer so um Oh, but what I should probably say first is I always had an interest in fashion, but I wanted to be a designer first, but that kind of shelved itself because being a designer was quite hard at the time because you'd have to go to school and then spend a lot of time and money um, into that. And I realized, you know, when you're young and you want to work in fashion, you kind of want to skip the line and just get straight to it. So, <clears throat> I so tried this is when you were still a teenager. This is when I was a teenager. So I did work for a designer. Um, his name was Wayne Clark, and I you know, worked in the garment district. In Toronto. In Toronto. But then I realized it was just a little bit too hard and time consuming. So then from there, I worked for this retailer called Holt Renfrew, which is part of the um, the Weston group. The, the Westons own Selfridges. So they own Holt Renfrew. And I thought I wanted to become a buyer, but then I realized that was too hard. So then from there, that's kind of when the whole street thing happened and also my interest in photography. So, um, Taking a camera onto the streets of Toronto gave me an opportunity to socialize and talk to people. About Hang on. So when you say the whole street thing happened... Oh, my, my, my interest in street photography. Sorry. But w- This is in 2005, sorry. So I'm interested in the, to know how you recognized there was a thing happening around street photography. It w- so there wasn't really a thing happening. There was, it was just the very beginnings. So like, I would see images in in Japanese fashion magazines, and things were being documented like, in terms of like what they were wearing and who they were, and also this is the very beginnings of the sartorias as well. So it was just it w- it hadn't blown up yet, obviously, because this was five years prior. To so it was it. when like the so Scott Schumann was doing the sartorias. He was just, he just it, was, it was street style blogs. Yeah, so I thought, oh, you know, this would be kind of fun to do this in my local town and also go to events and just photograph people and what they were wearing. Because I think I was more interested in the surface aspect, which is how people would wear clothes and how they interpret it. So that's kind of how it happened. Had you been interested in photography up to before? Oh, no. Zero interest at all. I mean, I, I appreciated, uh, you know, editorials and campaigns and magazines, but I didn't want to pursue a career in photography. So it, it kind of was a gateway into the industry. That's how it really happened. And what else do we have? What's the second thing that you'd put into the cabinet? That I brought. Um, yeah. I also brought a few other things from uh, Japan. So, like, I, I have this weird obsession with beauty products. And obviously, when you're in Japan, you kind of want to try a lot of things. So I, I just brought this because I thought it was really funny. It, it's a pair of duck lips. Obviously, yeah. you're looking at them wondering what you do with them. So uh, what I, I'm, so, I'm really sad I don't have the packaging anymore. But what... You, what was really funny was there's a picture of a, this girl and she had these duck lips in her mouth and it tightens your your uh, cheek muscles. So. Oh, so it has an actual practical use. Yeah, so I'll show you what it does. So you do this. <laughs> so you so actually wear it and you it actually, actually tightens you, And it tightens, yeah. So you, you put it into your mouth and it tightens your your cheek muscles or something so what does that do though what, what, well because uh because you should be like i guess it's a thing now where you're supposed to be exercising the muscles in your face so I, i'll put it in my mouth one more time. <laughs> because you're you're holding on to it with your your lips right or your teeth yeah. it's causing your your cheeks so to tighten. it looks like donald duck yeah, I basically look like, like it's been taken off a Donald Duck toy. Yeah, Donald mm. Duck basically. So it's it's really ridiculous. I never used it, but I bought it because I just thought it's one of the 
ridiculous things I, I buy when I'm in Japan, which is these things in this. Um, That's incredible. It's kind of like their their version of Tesco. Like you go in there and you just pile up and buy a bunch of things, and this is one of them. Of so. course, you just buy that. Yeah, so I just, just thought popping to Tesco to buy some duck lips. <laughs> duck lips, yeah. But but duck lips are a thing now because of Kylie Jenner. So like there was that challenge where everyone was sucking like a glass and then their lips got bigger. So this is just another way of there's it's just another facet of ridiculous beauty trends. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, that's something else that I'm happy to leave it. Okay. Of Carla's well, place. I, it's definitely I, we, I I can safely say we haven't had anything like that in there before. <laughs> um, but then tell me about um you so you started taking photos of people yes in toronto um and then how did it progress from there so i was working for this woman linda latner um for her e-commerce site called vintage couture so by doing this job it gave me the freedom to do the street style thing as well and she was very supportive, so she said, oh, if you want to go to London and Paris and take it to another level, I'm happy to send you as a bonus, so, which was the most amazing thing she could do as a boss. So this was in 2007. So to take your photography to the next level. Yes, because she saw I was getting bored of doing it in Toronto because there wasn't much happening. So um, I went to London in February 2007, and it was quite overwhelming because this is the time of boombox. And the whole new rave thing. Yeah. So, so this, was this during Fashion Week? This is during Fashion Week. So I went, and it was just such eye candy just to see all these people like Agnes Dean and Henry Holland and, and all those kids. And I went to Boombox waiting outside to get in. I did eventually get in, but it took a few hours. But um, it, it was just for someone that was so intrigued by how people dressed, it was quite fascinating. And then from there, I went to Paris because I skipped Milan. And from that moment, after going to Paris, I knew right away that this is what I wanted to do because you go and it just feels like you're on safari just seeing these exotic creatures and the way that they dress. So from that moment on in 2007, I went every season. What is it about you and your technique or approach with people that makes them feel comfortable being photographed? Um, I figured it out because initially it was... I had to always stop people and I liked asking what they were wearing but then because there were so many people and everyone was always in a rush going to a show I started realizing maybe I should just take the photo regardless but do it very quietly because I was very shy or I still am very shy so that's kind of how that type of photography sprung up because I just started clicking away thinking oh there's no harm in taking pictures like a paparazzi photographer and no one else was doing it because everyone would always stop everyone and take their photo right so when you go to these shows like the spaces that they're being held at like at the Tuileries or um, at the Grand Palais like they're just walking so peacefully into a show so I just started taking pictures and that's kind of how it happened that style of photography but it took a few seasons for me to find my footing and then for people to define my photos had you launched your Jack and Jill blog around yes, this time? Yes, so this was the Jack and Jill blog at the time. Um, and things were picking up, you know, from 2007 to 2009. Um, I was approached by Lane Crawford to shoot their actual campaign when they found my photos, which I found quite shocking. Because I, I, I only did this out of love. I didn't really think I was going to make a career out of it. So from there, that was the first breakthrough. And then... 
a few months after that, that's when Style.com reached out to me. And then, then that was the launching point of my career, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about something else with the cabinet. Yes. Um, oh, sorry. I forgot to... This was a... This is from the Hotel Cora. It's another facet of my love of Japan. This so, is probably more serious. So it's a, it's actually a robe. So Cora is in Tokyo? Yeah, in Japan, in Tokyo, yeah. So this hotel, which is no longer... Um, they demolished it, apparently. So everyone would always go and take pictures in the lobby. It's a very beautiful hotel. Uh, but this was actually a gift it's from It's been demolished, though. It's been demolished, yeah. It was a very... Um, I mean, the interior was very timeless, and it was a lot of... I, actually, the funny thing is I never went to the Hotel Cora, but <laughs> I, I only brought this just because it's just representative of Where did you find the pajamas? They were a gift from my agent, actually. So she just let, she knows how much I love Japan so much and Japanese culture that she gave them to me, so that's why. I would, I would, I would have showed up with a truckload of other stuff, but because I don't have all of it, that's why. So that's just one leftover thing. These are these amazing patterns. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, you could look at it and you, you, it's just quite timeless. And I don't even know what decade it's from, but you know, I'm, I'm always happy to hold on to something that has a lot of mm. sentimental value. So, with your <coughs> photographs, what do you think makes your street style different from other street style photographers' work? Um, I think you could. I mean, from what people have told me, you can see that there's a depth of knowledge of fashion and you could see my love of clothes which is at the beginning it was very focused on accessories and details and it wasn't so much about whether someone looked beautiful or it made for a great photograph there was a point of view where it was very much about the clothes and not so much about the person but then from there it turned into it turned to a thing about the people because you know these people became stars in their own Right, you know, to me they were my heroes, like the the editors or the stylists or the models. Who were the people that you like? Who or who do you like photographing the most? Right now or overall in the last twelve years? Overall, I'd say. Uh, it ranges. It goes from like whether it's someone like Catherine Baba or um, Hannah, Hannah Catherine Gabby. Catherine Baba. She's she, she's a French stylist. She she looks like she's living in a Wysa opium ad. She's always the same person. She's quite a muse to a lot of designers. Um, or someone like Stefano Pilati, who's just impeccably chic, always looks amazing. Um, even someone like Rei Kawakubo, who's just like a ghost. But when you see her, she's like this tiny little person in you know like these creations that she's wearing but it somehow works for her um and also just shooting the models is, is really fun like the personalities because i remember when cardella had just blown up but just seeing her outside the shows like she just was full of energy and these faces that she would make when she'd run out and everyone would chase after her so that was really fun um was there, uh, was there a hierarchy of photographers uh there, yeah, there. I think there always has been. Obviously, you know, people are respectful of the photographers that um, have made a name for themselves. But I also feel like now, with so many other photographers have, that have come along hanging outside the shows, it just kind of feels like a circus where I think people just do it because they feel like it's an opportunity to take pictures. So I don't necessarily think people know what they're doing anymore. They're just there because it's become an opportunity for social media content I don't know but it just doesn't feel as genuine anymore because you know there's people that 
that are there obviously that care about taking pictures and then there's that are doing it as a hobby and then there's others that are being contracted to do it because they've seen what people like uh, Scott or myself or Phil O have done and you know they're just they don't it's not coming from a real point of view or or a place of love you know like they they realize oh I have to check off this person off my list and take their picture they're, they're not taking their picture because they realize oh they're wearing a brand new Bottega clutch from you know Daniel it's mm-hmm. I, for me that's what has always excited me is the clothes and seeing whether or not someone got something straight off the runway or they've been sh- saving it in their closet and they've decided to wear it recently mm. yeah can we talk about the famous photo that you took um i think it was in 2009 oh, of kanye, kanye. yeah <laughs> so kanye and his crew yeah. so they arrived in paris mm-hmm. for the shows so this is uh the first season he really decided to do shows um with his crew um he so he brought all his friends from chicago um the funny thing is at the time I wasn't really much of a fan of Kanye but um, this was actually I was actually at Fashion Week specifically to shoot the Lane Crawford campaign so I had a bit of free time so I was waiting outside the men's Comme des Garçons show and there was just myself and another photographer and they were the last ones to show up this van pulls out and then they all come out and they're all walking towards it was Kanye Kanye Virgil Don C Farnsworth Bentley, Taz Arnold, and their friend Chris, Chris Julian. Um, so me and this other photographer, we didn't have to stop them. They actually just stopped and posed for us. And and they were all wearing kind of very um, dandyish. Yeah, I, I like kind of, OTT. It was like a, it was basically looks. streetwear. Bef- it was streetwear before it became a thing. But it was just how they were wearing. It was a mix of like Goyard luggage and Louis Vuitton luggage. And Virgil was wearing a, a Ralph Simmons, Jill Sander marble print shirt with the Montclair puffer vest. But it's just the way that they put it together. And people laughed at them because they looked so cartoonish. But then that's exactly how kids dress today. So, like, they were at the forefront of everything. So they knew who you were. No, they did not know who I was. I wasn't anything at the time. This is before Style.com made me something. So Kanye didn't know who I was. and um, But I just took the photo because I just thought, yeah, why not, right? And surprisingly, the photo turned into a, a meme, which was not... It turned into a meme before it, memes were a thing. And then South Park did a mockumentary... Or not a mockumentary. They just mocked the photo and turned it into an episode. And then, yeah, that's just how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> but then two years later, um, Kanye found out who I was and became a fan of my photos through Style.com and then sought me out at Paris Fashion Week. And then from there, we kind of developed a working relationship and a friendship. So, What kind of things do you do for him? He, he would ask me to come to his concerts and photograph them because only a very, very small number of people would be able to come and take pictures. Or sometimes he would just ask me to come hang out and we would talk about clothes, which I thought was really surreal. So he just had a love and an appreciation for how clothes were made. And he wanted to, this was at the beginnings of his own line, not the easy line, but his uh, runway line which he did for a few seasons but um, he was he was curious about wanting to know who to work with and where his clothes should be produced or what type of style of clothing he should design and he started with women's wear initially and then um, Virgil was being Virgil was at his side at the time so like it was very much about Kanye at the time and not about 
uh, Virgil and the others in their side projects. But from there, it kind of escalated for all of them. Are you friends with Virgil Abloh? I mean, I'm not. I don't. I'm not, I don't pick up my phone and call Virgil. But yeah, he's he's very sweet and he's. I could say yeah, he's a friend. And um, I mean, I'm I'm very amazed and very proud at all of them because of what they've been able to manifest in such a short period of time. And you know, everyone had their backs against them, and they just kept doing what they wanted to do. And they really fought their way through this industry. And when you look at it now, everyone watches every single move that Virgil makes, right? So it's it's kind of amazing how he's gone from being behind the scenes and working extremely hard for Kanye and supporting him to seeing how his projects have turned into such a huge thing for him. So is that how you feel you've had come up as a photographer, uh, having to fight the establishment a bit? Yeah, I still think I do because it's it's. I still think I'm still someone that hangs outside the shows wanting to to get inside right as an outsider um yeah for the longest time i you know people didn't really associate street photography with actual professional photography and um i don't know i i kind of find myself feeling weird when i go into fashion shows sometimes because i feel like people don't necessarily accept me as i mean maybe that's just my own insecurity dealing with going to a fashion show and feeling there's a hierarchy what else would you put in the cabinet? Um, so I brought this pin from RuPaul's DragCon. It's a Trixie Mattel pin, so, and it says, Oh Honey, which is her catchphrase. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I brought this because I just think it's really funny how RuPaul's Drag Race has been around for so many years, but then in the last few years, it's really blown up. And I remember um, when I was working at Star.com, uh, my associate, Matthew Schneier, who's at the New York Times, he kept pushing our editor-in-chief, Dirk Stanton, to feature RuPaul on the cover of the magazine with Naomi Campbell. But he was so hesitant, and then now, obviously, RuPaul's such a highly regarded icon in both the drag world and the fashion world. So, And I also think everyone's, I wouldn't say secret, but everyone's guilty pleasure now is RuPaul's Drag Race in the industry. So, um, yeah, that's why I brought this You were there first. I was, I mean, I've been watching since day one, so like before it became a thing. Actually, I remember there was a season where it was so cold at the shows, but I was so excited to get back to my friend's apartment so I could watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And that kind of, I actually find the show kind of be, kind of to be like an escape for me f during Fashion Week because it's just something else to look forward to other than running around and losing all your sleep, so. Mm -hmm. But then actually a year ago, um, New York, the the DragCon that was happening in New York was happening at the same time that shows were happening here. And I just thought to myself, I can skip a show, it's fine. I'll just go shoot street style with drag queens and see how that comes out. And it was it was really fun because like it's something that I was so keen about for so long. I also dragged Garçon John with me, Jonathan, uh, who's also a street photographer. And we just had the best time because we were just like, why are we always fixated on making sure we have to be at every show? Like. We should give ourselves time to have some fun. So that's how that came about. But then the images that came out of shooting Drag Queen Street Style, it actually went on auction with Phillips. So in London, actually. So the photos actually sold, um, but all the proceeds went to, to charity. So that was really sweet. Yeah. You said before that you always feel like an outsider when you go to the shows. Yeah. 
Do you feel like there was a moment, or can you remember a moment when the fashion establishment accepted street style and street style photographers and street style stars? Do you remember sensing that sea change? Um, when did it happen? I think it kind of really happened maybe in 2012 or 2013 where it was a bit more accepted. I mean, when I started, be when I was being invited more to shows, I would say, yeah, I was being more accepted because obviously I was working for Style.com and mm. I had a certain relationship with certain people and brands. But it's, it's when the brands and the magazines fully realized that this is what drives viewership. I think that's when things were being taken more seriously. And that was that famous moment when you went, you were invited to sit front row at a Dolce and Gabbana show. Yes. And there was that, Brian Boy, yourself. Scott and Garance, yeah. It was, it was quite surreal because I had never been invited to a Dolce show. And then to walk in to see that I'm being placed front row, but then also they placed a, a laptop in front of us and I was sitting just two seats away from Anna Wintour. It, and I remember I was already sweating because it was, it was quite hot already and I was running around shooting everyone outside and all of a sudden I was inside sitting front row and then they, they captured that moment on camera and, and to see that image, I mean, it, it shook people because, you know, to see someone that was completely from the outside be, to be placed in that position, mm -hmm. I think they were smart to make that statement for sure, that obviously now they're anti-social media influencers, but... Um, I am grateful for that opportunity because that opened a lot of doors. Mm. I mean, that was before influencers became a thing, you know, and obviously now the front row is full of influencers. So Instagram launched in 2010. Yep. Do you remember that? Oh, no. The, how it, did that change things? So I think the industry, because I remember I only joined Instagram in like 2012, and I feel like the industry really did embrace it until maybe like 2013 or 2014. But that completely changed everything because the immediacy of everything. And once Style.com also um, folded, I feel like everyone's sources, source of information of fashion became Instagram. You know, like it wasn't about reading a review anymore. It was about seeing things instantaneously, like right away, you know, on the runway. And there was less of a need of websites. Everything was on mobile. So I think, if anything, yeah, it's significantly changed how we adapt and digest fashion. And it's kind of sad because we we no longer have that tangible aspect about fashion where you buy the magazine or you yearn for the imagery that comes out of a show. Like, it's everything is just straight away, right away. You click and you like it or you want to buy now see now that's how it works so what what's your take on the rise of the influencer compared to the people you were photographing the people you mentioned that you really admired and photographed so early on in your career I so the thing is I have a love-hate relationship with the whole influencer thing because I, I can't bite the hand that feeds me because I am a product of the whole digital boom in the social media thing what what I miss about what I used to do was or I still do is you know, the people I used to, I would photograph, which is people that genuinely dress up to go to the shows, like that's the uniform to go to the shows, like an Emmanuel Alt or, or even like an Anna Della Russo, you know, like they, they were genuinely dressing to go to a show, whereas an influencer is being paid to dress uh, a certain way or wear a certain look to show, but it's just the constant changing of outfits. I get it, yes, it's great for photos, but at the same time, it's not really genuine or authentic, you know. 
So it, it kind of gets a bit too predictable when you know that certain people are going to wear a look of that designer to that show. I, I like it. I like to see when someone pulls something, whether it's a Balenciaga from the Nicolas Jasquier era or a Helmut Lang piece out. That to me shows someone that loves fashion and that cherishes what they've bought. You know, and it's not just they don't treat fashion as if it's disposable or they're not like a hanging mannequin for you know a brand. What else have you got for me here? What else do I have? Uh, okay, so I have, <laughs> I have this ridiculous obsession with skincare as if as do everyone else mm. in this world so i brought a few uh toiletries from biologic recherche do you know about this line i don't think i do oh, okay so biologic uh, recherche yes so it's a skincare line from paris um <clears throat> it's 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 well it's one of many brands that i use but it's it's actually the the go-to line that a lot of insiders use when you really want to up your game and you want to change the quality of your skin. So this P50, which is a little vial that I brought, um, it changes, or I wouldn't say changes, but it helps improve the pH levels in your skin. So um, one day I'd seen my agent and I said, what did you do to your skin? Because something is completely drastically different. And she said, oh, well, I spoke to Jen Brill, who's also... Um, an agent now or a stylist and she um, had been using P50 so this was like four years ago but um, everyone that I watch on Instagram or talk to they all use Biologic Recherche so it's it's quite see. something. <laughs> the thing is it's a very technically it's it, it smells it smells like formaldehyde or apple cider vinegar so the thing about this line is that it's not meant to smell great or make you feel great it's just to help improve the quality of your skin <laughs> and it works and it works everyone a lot of people swear by it. i mean you could take it home if you want we could just say that we actually put it in the cabinet but we didn't yeah but um, <laughs> exactly. actually you should go to rescue spa um where they do sell biologic research. rescue spa yeah What's it's that? um well it's like a spa slash beauty mecca for a lot of product it's in it's actually not far from your hotel but um I, I, someone said once that um, you only get one face in this life, so you better take care of it. I mean, your, your skin is great. You don't need to worry about it. But um, when, I, when I heard that, I just realized, oh, I should take better care of my skin because I spent a lot of time in the sun shooting street style. So, um, yeah, in the last few years, I've been buying a lot more skincare products and making sure that, that it, I mean, that I maintain my youth. Do they make sunscreen? They do, yeah, they do. But um, that is like another separate thing I find. I think what, making sure every night that you take the time to take care of your skin by cleansing it and treating it properly with the right um, toner and the right um, moisturizers, it gives it, it'll just make you feel a lot better. Um, Victoria Beckham swears by this, and you'd be surprised how many people in the industry use it. But then it, it's like a it's a secret; no one really talks about it, which is really funny. You've said, I've read, you, you said in the past how you became disillusioned with the whole street style thing at yeah. one point. What made you feel like that? Um, I think just doing it for so long, which is, to some other people, they would laugh because I've only been doing it for 12 years and that's not really that long. But I think in fashion years, you know, the or for fashion people the amount of things that we experience in a year you know we travel to so many cities 
we go to so many shows and we feel like we're living multiple lives or so much more than the average person. So it's it just feels like fashion has gone from a very slow-paced seasonal calendar to now everything has to be so instant and immediate that it's kind of lost its sense of mystery and authenticity. And I remember, I always think back to when I was younger when I dreamed about fashion and the thing is I don't dream about it anymore I still do to a certain extent but I just don't have that yearning and I, you could talk to a lot of people and I just feel like people don't feel as excited anymore about fashion so I think that's why people either leave or they find another way to be balanced with their lives which is whether I move outside the city or find other interests so I didn't exactly want to say goodbye to fashion I just thought you know like with this opportunity with DeVoe which um, if you want me to explain how it happened. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually, f- I, was, I was friends with Matthew Breen and Andrea Sow, who are the founders of the brand, and I would come to their shows. Um, and then I would come into the studio and just talk about the collection with them and give them some advice. And in the back of my mind, I always had this aspiration to want to design or creatively direct for a brand. And two years ago, they had this idea of wanting to go into women's, and I just thought, oh, you know, why don't I volunteer myself and say, I'll help you out if you want. And I just thought I had nothing to lose. So I kind of said, if you guys want me to come in and be your leader, I'd I'd be happy to do it. And they said yes right away. And they were very welcoming about it. And that's just kind of how it happened. I mean, I thought there would be more of a struggle. But I just thought, you know, like, if I ever wanted to do this, this was the right fit. Uh, because I just felt like what the product that they were making was really beautiful, and I felt that they had, they had a lot of potential to to go much so much further. So, um, and I and I wasn't as busy at the time, and I thought, you know, it would be nice to focus my energy towards something that I've always wanted to do. So that's kind of how it happened. What's it like being on the inside creating a brand rather than documenting it? I feel like I'm always inside my head. <laughs> <laughs> But what's really amazing is that all this demographic demographic research that I've been doing for the last 12 years, which is watching how people dress and getting into the mindset of these people that I used to, or I still stalk and monitor, um, I kind of really like to think of them when I, when I choose the fabrics and f- decide on the silhouettes and, and the bodies. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like I'm giving back in a way to them thinking that, oh, you know, now that, you know, there's a lot of departures that have been happening in the industry where we feel like those heroes that we looked up to, whether it's Carl or Phoebe, there needs to be another solution to that. So I'm just, not that I I would say I'm a real fashion designer. I think we're just making real clothes for people to wear. And I think that's just what people are yearning for right now. It's just real clothes that are well made and everything's made in New York and the quality of the fabrics are great. So... I think that's just what I'm trying to do right now. Um, and are you still taking photos? Yeah, I can't say goodbye to that just yet. So do you still go to the shows and document I, them in that I way? I still go to the shows, but for the first time this past season, I decided to cut back and not go to, sorry, London. Because um, <laughs> it had been 12 years, and I just thought, you know, after working so hard, during New York for the show, I just needed a week off, so I decided to skip London, but I kind of regretted it because it actually looked really great. <laughs> <laughs> but I think moving forward, I'm not gonna go to as many fashion weeks, but I still, what I still like to do actually, what I did during Paris was 
I have to juggle showroom appointments at the same time as running around to to the shows and shooting street style. But I, I still get a thrill watching how people dress outside the shows. It's only when it gets really crazy where the police are called and there's barricades that it becomes a bit overwhelming. And then I just think, I'll just go back to the showroom and meet with buyers. Do you think this is going to stop at some point, this craziness with everyone mm. constantly documenting everything that happens I, I don't think so because I feel like street style has trickled its way into the mainstream where <laughs> the funny thing about working in Soho is that you can't walk a block without seeing someone having somebody take a picture of them on the street in, in their outfit. So I feel like people on a mass scale use street style as a way to express what they're wearing on a daily basis. And, th- and that's what drives business. You know, people want to buy clothes and show off what they're wearing. So, and I feel like there's just going to be more and more people that go to shows and brands are just going to realize this is more effective than traditional advertising. So, I mean, I feel like fashion shows, the important ones will be scaled back where they'll be probably by appointment only. And I think that's probably more effective, but I feel like the shows will still continue because it's a huge marketing tool for, for brands to invite, you know, influencers and wear the product. And did the brands and designers pay you to go to their shows? Oh, no, not at all. I paid for myself to go. Yeah. There's never been a time where I was paid by a brand to well maybe there was but <laughs> outside the calendar but um during fashion weeks i do go on my own mm. yeah. did you have anything else you wanted to put in the cabinet yeah i brought uh, <laughs> a little lock of hair from my dog <laughs> mochi because um i should say mochi's here yes mochi's here he's hiding somewhere oh there he is yes he's been white. sleeping during the interview he's a, a big four-year-old samoyed. He's, he's a four-year-old samoyed and um I know how much dogs mean to people, especially in the industry, um, because, you know, we're very high-strung, stressed people, and I just feel like when I got Mochi a year ago, he completely changed my life here in New York. Um, He just gave me more of a routine, but also just, he's my best friend, and having him, um, it just brings a smile to everyone's face, especially when they come to the showroom, and... uh, I know, I've always had this obsession with Samoyeds through Instagram. Um, I would always save photos and videos. So when the opportunity came to adopt Mochi, I just kind of jumped at it and it was great. How does he molt at home? You mean shed? Shed, yeah, sorry. So the reason why I have this pile or this little bundle first because this is from a shedding season, but I, I actually see people that save their dog fur and make sweaters for them. Which I think is kind of Are you serious? funny. <laughs> so that, yeah, so this is a bit of a, this is from my. So you st- collect up the hair that he. I sheds. started. I started during his last shedding season because I thought, how funny would it be f- to make a sweater for him when when he's. Do you live by yourself? His, I live by myself. Okay, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say because I can imagine someone getting yeah, quite annoyed by it's, that. Yeah, it's 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 very difficult when he starts shedding because you just live in tumbleweeds of fur, but. His, you, you pet him and he's very soft and I just think if I were to have someone make the yarn and knit the sweater it'd be a really soft sweater not for <laughs> myself for sure it's your new business idea right there yeah exactly it's dog sweaters for <laughs> dogs but if they're, well it is very sustainable right so true yeah but I, I mean if, if he did pass it'd be a very nice momentum of mochi is fur not that I shaved him for it it's actually it came out naturally <laughs> So apart from dog sweaters, yeah. what else do you think you'd like to try your hand at? 
in future? Um, well, I'm actually working on a documentary right now. Um, and I can't talk too much about it because it's still in the process. But um, about a person or a it's about a person. It's about a person in the industry. Um, I'm really excited that we've started on it. But it's as a director. As a director, yes. Um, so that would be really exciting to finally finish that. But then I don't know, just finding my footing at Devoe here and fully understanding. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's mentally and physically exhausting. But then just helping develop a brand and fully understand that um, there's a lot of thought put into products and making sure that we put a product out there that's um, desirable and very well made and I think that's just something I'm challenged and I'm so keen to learn more about so that's just the focus right now. Great. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you. It was really interesting. Oh, thank you. I know it's really silly but <laughs> not silly all this at stuff. all. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.